0: I'm so glad you guys joined us for our Easter celebration, our celebration of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is an anchor for our hope, an anchor for our lives, that Christ triumphed over the grave. Uh, It holds us sure, and I think about the last year, I think about the last 13 to 14 months, how as we look at a disease and we look at despair and we look at a pandemic and, and for so many, knowing that God has triumphed over the grave, that a pandemic doesn't have the final say, that death doesn't have the final say, that despair doesn't have the final say, that means, that means everything uh, to us. And I hope we'll see that when Jesus triumphed over the grave, yes, he died for our sin, but in conquering death and sin, uh, He gives us a reason to have hope in every moment. It's a guarantee that restoration is available for all of us, a restored relationship with God. Um, I I wish that you could have seen some of the faces yesterday. Um, 4.30 yesterday evening, we had a a mask-required worship experience because we knew that there were several that are part of the Lebanon Christian Church family that... Um, because of vulnerability or uh, because of their feelings about the pandemic hadn't been comfortable coming. And we had people in this space, many of them elderly, who hadn't been able to worship alongside others in, in the better part of a year. And to see them singing out was incredible. And then our last... Worship experience earlier this morning was amazing, and to see your faces. Again, for some of you, this is your first time gathered back together with us in more than a year, and we are so glad you are here as we celebrate hope. We're looking at Easter, we're looking at the resurrection uh, through the lens of restoration uh, today and this weekend. Have you noticed that there's just something in us that comes alive when you hear a good restoration story? There's something in us that comes alive when there's a story of transformation. I'm old enough that I can remember back to the 90s. I know that dates me a little bit. Um, but there were there were stories, uh, there was this television show called Extreme Makeover. And I'm not talking about the home edition version where they build people new houses. I'm talking about the, the people version, which sounds a little creepy right now as I say it out loud. Like, like people would come and they would tell their story of transformation. There would be uh, different plastic surgeries and weight loss plans. And they would take this person, this man or the woman, and, and they would follow them as they had this this complete transformation, maybe a disfigurement was, was, was fixed, or, or maybe they'd been looking to lose, you know, three or 400 pounds, and it seemed impossible. It kind of gave way to what The Biggest Loser did, and I can just remember watching that with my parents, and then watching Extreme Makeover Home Edition, and watching The Biggest Loser, and watching Fixer Upper, and, and now I watch it on YouTube channels. Um, these stories of transformation and restoration, there's always something in me that comes alive as I see that. And I'm guessing the same is true for you as I hear your stories. There's something about seeing a piece of furniture, a home, a garden, an antique toy or a car, and seeing that which was rusted and cracked and thrown to the curb or discarded. And someone said, that's not worth anything anymore. To see it made new and repurposed, there's just something in that that resonates with us. The the, the cracks and the mold and the rust and the dings, they're still part of the story. They're just not the the final story. We resonate with those. As we think about Easter and the story of restoration, uh, I wanted to showcase a few things that were submitted to us. We began the end of February asking for you to share maybe some projects that you had restored. And so I've got a few of them on stage and we have pictures of others. Um, Over here to my right is a vanity The vanity was uh, salvaged or bought at a garage sale by one of our high school students, Adeline. Uh, She purchased it for a 4-H project and she went to the hard work. She had a vision of something more for it and she put her blood, sweat, and tears into it and she made it new. Uh, I think of the card table that's behind me. Uh, One of our men, Joe, uh, grew up with this card table in his home. Uh, in his description of the table, he said that in the 60s, when he was growing up, which that's the 1960s, that's a really long time ago for, for not, for, from my perspective. For some of you, it's not that long ago, or, or maybe you forgot how long ago it was. But, but the, the, the 60s were a long time ago. He said that table was old in the 60s. It's a Durham card table purchased out of Muncie, Indiana for four bucks when it was bought. And the pasteboard top, it began to crumble. And so Joe restored it by putting a new hardwood top on it. I think of the uniform over here to my left, your right. Bill, who was playing guitar just behind it, um, that's his grandfather's Korean War uniform. He took it and he had it cleaned and he had it pressed and he built a shadow box and he presented it to his father as a gift. What a beautiful story of restoration. Some other pictures we have, uh, Tricia and her family took a toy box that her father had made for her brother. And when it was no longer able to be used for what it was built for, her and her family took it and they made it into two planter boxes, giving it new life, giving it a new new age to live in. I think about a chair uh, that Kim made uh, or restored. Kim moved into a new office environment and there was an old chair there. There's was a little bit of an eye store and an eye store and Kim has a, a knack for seeing something and seeing how better it can be and, and so she made a more modern chair. She restored it. I think of a cabinet that Michelle found on the curb discarded, unwanted. If you're in Lebanon, if you're in Boone County, you know if something's on the curb, it means no one, no one wants it anymore. And then you wait for somebody to come by who's a little brazen and they'll pick it up and throw the dilapidated piece of what you consider junk in the back of their car or the back of their truck. And, uh, and Michelle found that, that cabinet on the curb and she made it into a child's play kitchen. I, I think of the Sears who moved out into the country and bought an old home and the landscaping had grown up into more of a jungle and they had a vision to have a nice flower garden, so they restored that landscaping. I think of Levi and Bethany. They bought a home in in downtown Lebanon. It was falling into disrepair. They purchased it in 2009 and they began the hard work of restoring that home and you can see some of the transformation there. A really cool part of that story is that that home has been lived in or owned now by three different families connected to Lebanon Christian Church. That's kind of a cool part of its story. I think of Debbie. Debbie McKillop is the young girl pictured in the photo. Uh, She's a woman who serves in our church now. She's not that young anymore. Um, uh, This is when she was a child playing at this child's dish cabinet, and she and her family went about restoring it. The cabinet is some 100 years old or more. I think about Brian, who in 1987 purchased a 1955 Chevy Bel Air and just in recent years has begun the process of restoring it and you can see some of those pictures. And I'm guessing these aren't the only stories of restoration that you can think of. Uh, Many of us have in our homes something that's been reclaimed, repurposed, reused, uh, restored. Just a few years ago, our family, when the marsh stores were going out of business in the Indianapolis area, we went to a store on 86th Street. They had a bunch of these produce crates And so we purchased them because we had a vision for something more. And so we made them into bookshelves and we made them into a bench to sit on in our mudroom. You probably have projects like that too. There's just something about a restoration story that resonates with us. All of these projects share many characteristics in common. Here's just a few of them. Uh, They all require something that's been broken, something that's unable to be used as it originally was. They all require someone with a vision for something more that sees what's broken, what's in need of repair, and they say, I can do something with that. They require sacrifice. Someone's gotta spend the time. Someone's gotta be uh, frustrated in the process. Someone's gotta watch all the YouTube videos to figure out how to do it and, and how to make it uh, new again. Someone's gotta provide that tender, loving care. Uh, it's no secret that what it takes to restore vanity is not the same as it takes to restore a uniform from the Korean War. What it takes to restore a uniform is not the same thing that you would use on a 1955 Chevy Bel Air. Uh, If you sent your Bel Air to the dry cleaners, they would probably say, hey, what am I doing with this? Well, you're gonna restore it, right? They all need tender, loving care. But when what's broken meets someone with a vision for something more and they're willing to sacrifice and care for it, new life is born. And we resonate with that. Why? Why do you and I resonate with stories of restoration and transformation? It's because you and I are hardwired for transformation. Every one of us is a part of the greatest transformation and restoration story the world has ever known. More beautiful than any reclaimed barnwood table more beautiful than any restored hot rod, more beautiful than in any physical transformation or new home that could be built. We are part of the greatest restoration story of all time. And when we stand on Resurrection Sunday and we think about what Jesus has done, he has sealed for us, he has guaranteed for us the possibility of us being restored in our relationship with God. But guess what, there's even more as we're restored in our relationship with God and his spirit fills us and we have new life in us, the same new life that was in Jesus. Romans chapter eight, verse 11 tells us that the same spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead, guess where it lives? It lives in us, those who believe. And when that spirit lives in us, it enables us to be agents of restoration or as Paul says it, reconciliation in our world. I wanna take you to Ephesians chapter two this morning. And I want you to see this beautiful restoration story and to appreciate it if you're a disciple of Jesus, just to be inspired, to be encouraged, maybe to be renewed in your zeal and and, and joy for your faith. And if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, maybe you're watching online, you have no idea why your Facebook took you to this page, that you'll see that you're a part of God's incredible restoration. Uh, The letter to the Ephesians was written by Paul in these Roman cities. uh, The church would gather these disciples in various homes throughout the city. And as Paul writes to encourage them, the letter would be read in these homes. Something we need to know about Ephesus, it was a city which would be in what is now modern day Turkey. Then it was Asia Minor. It was at this crossroads in the Roman Empire. And so all kinds of travelers came to do trade from all over the Roman Empire. And in a place like that, there were all kinds of influences. Any place where all kinds of people from different cultures collide, uh, there's the, the, the perfect recipe for all kinds of influences to come. And some of those influences are great, right? You go to New York City, you can find all kinds of great food. Uh, you go to New York City, you can all find all kinds of weird stuff too. Uh, Ephesus was kind of a place like that. And so as these new believers are trying to live the Jesus way in this ancient city, Paul wants to encourage them. Maybe one of the most famous parts of the letter to the Ephesians is Ephesians chapter 6, where it tells us to put on the whole armor of God. He knows that the faith of these early followers is going to be tested. He shows them how to stand and fight and endure. But what precedes all that is this beautiful articulation by Paul about the restoration story that every single one of us is a part of. Uh, If you have your Bibles as a hard copy, I invite you to turn there, open your Bible app. Um, If you don't have a hard copy of the Bible, by the way, I forget to say this many weeks, we do have free copies at the back of the room. You can grab one on your way out, it's our gift to you. If you don't have a Bible, don't worry, the verses are gonna be up on the screen behind me. Something interesting to note about these verses, chapter two, verses one through 10 As we read them in sections, you will at times probably feel like it's a little cumbersome. Paul puts a lot of thoughts together. But I would encourage you to note that it's not as cumbersome as it could be. When Paul originally wrote this letter, do you know that in the original language, this is one sentence? All 10 verses one sentence, And what I love about that is it's as though Paul is saying, I want you to remember who you were and what God has done and the beautiful story that you're a part of. And as he's trying to capture that, he just keeps reaching for these other things for, to help the people understand. And what results is this beautiful long sentence. And I am so thankful that our English translators have said, hey, let's break this down for the Americans. They need it. Um, and so we're gonna be in Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, But let's do this, before I start reading the first three verses, let's just pray and ask God to teach us and to draw us into him through his word. God, thank you so much. Thank you for your words of truth authored by uh, men and women throughout time that you've stirred through your spirit a message that meant something then and a message that still holds value and meaning now. God, teach us about you If we've wandered from you, draw us back. If we're rooted in you, encourage us and help us to grow strong. God, if we've yet to respond to you, draw us into your life. We trust in the power of your word and through the power of your spirit, amen. What you're gonna see in these 10 verses is that each of the characteristics we've mentioned for our restoration project, broken, a vision for something more, sacrifice, tender loving care, a little TLC, and uh, new life. They're all present in our journey of being restored by God. We're broken, verses one through three. Paul begins, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air. That's a reference to the enemy, Satan, the devil. So you were dead in your transgressions and sin when you used to live in the ways of following the world and the enemy, the spirit who is still at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. Paul is reminding these early believers that there was a time in their life when they were void of hope when they were dead, spiritually dead, in their transgressions and their sins. There are three words here that refer to the same thing. Disobedience, sins, and transgressions in these three verses all speak to that life that's lived opposed to what God's best is. And, and Paul says, we're all a part of that story. To the believers, to these disciples, he says, you once were dead, They're not dead anymore because they believe in Jesus Christ and they have his hope and and their life is in him. But they need not forget that they were once completely dead. They were broken. They were the ones discarded at the curb. They were the ones who, who didn't have a purpose. And he said, We're in this with those who are still in sin and broken. The reality of our restoration story is that all of us are broken by sin. Either we were or we are. And even for those that are followers of Jesus, if we're honest, we still fight the brokenness, don't we? There are still times that we struggle. And there are still times that the temptation overwhelms. And we're reminded of our cracks and our rust and our scars. We're broken. We're broken by sin. This goes back all the way to the very beginning. I mean, God creates mankind for relationship with himself. He he creates them. He says they are very good. He he makes us in the image of God. He creates us. That's what he tells us in the words of Genesis 1. He, He gives us a specific purpose. He has a plan for our lives, Genesis 2. And what do we see in Genesis 3? Humankind, living in the garden, living in the riches of God's presence, chooses to disobey God and they sin. They, they miss the mark. That's what the word sin literally means. It's from the Greek word hamartia, and it means to miss the mark. It's borrowed from archery. And when, you, when you're an archer, you have a target you want to hit. God has a target. He has a way in which he wants us to live. And when we don't live in that way, we miss the mark, we sin. And that's the plight of all of us. Paul reminds us in Romans that all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. He reminds us that the wages of those sins is death. Like we are broken, or we were broken just just like a vanity that needs restored just like an old table from the 60s just like a child's dish cabinet or a cabinet at the curb we're broken but here's the good news in that we love our restoration projects you can't be a great restoration project unless you're first broken like no no one walks through the department store and finds a brand new piece of furniture never used and say wow what an incredible restored piece no it's brand new The story comes because what's broken is made new. And the beauty of it is is that God had a vision for something more. He had a vision for something more for me. He had a vision of something more for you. He had a vision of something more for all of us. He saw us in our brokenness and he said, guess what? I've got a better way. I want them to find a better way. Look at the words of chapter two, verses four and five. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. Verse four, because of his great love for us. Why does God have a vision for something more for me? Why is a vision of something more for you? Because he loves you. Your creator, our father in heaven, loves you. And what I love is as you as you as you go into verse five, it says, "He made us alive with Christ when, when we were still dead." That's a vision for something more. God saw our brokenness; it broke His heart. He saw the fracture. We see it on display in Genesis chapter three and Adam and Eve who he created to dwell with are now cut off from God. They're pushed out of the garden. But the beauty of God's story is that it keeps unfolding and from Genesis four all the way to the arrival of Jesus and the death of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus is a story of God's great restoration. He has a vision for something more. If you're a disciple of Jesus, you should be encouraged. You need to be reminded that because of his triumph over the grave, because of your belief and trust in that, he is making you into something new and something more. Why do you need to be encouraged by that? Because all of us have moments when when we're beat down by our past mistakes and we're beat down by our shame. I would venture to say that every one of us has times when we look and sometimes it's hard to see the new us that we're becoming through the power of Christ and we only see the old. The enemy is called in Scripture the father of lies, and some of the greatest lies he tells is to get us to believe that we can never be any more than we are. And you need to be reminded that because Christ rose from the dead, as we believe in him, we can be more. You need to be reminded that your marriage is likely different now because of who Jesus is making you to be. You're a different parent, you're a different child, and your relationship with your parents you probably honor them differently. Your, your workplace relationships are probably different Why? Because God had a vision for something more. If you're not yet a follower of Jesus, here's what you need to understand is that your life has probably been wrecked just like mine has by your mistakes and by the mistakes of other people. Like you may feel like your life has been totaled and no one wants to fix it up. But God has a vision for something more. Just like Michelle had a vision for the cabinet on the curb, just like Adeline had a vision for her vanity. Just like Bill had a vision for his grandfather's uniform, just like Brian had a vision for his 55 Bel Air, God has a vision for you for something more. And here's the beauty. He's committed to the sacrifice that it takes to get there. I'm gonna go out on a limb. I'm gonna guess that many people in this room at one time or another have found something and said, you know what, I'm gonna restore that. I'm gonna remake that. I'm gonna renew that. And you started to see what it was gonna cost and the time investment, and you're like, Nah, I'm gonna let somebody else do it. God saw us in our brokenness and he didn't say, I'm gonna let somebody else do it. He said, I'll commit to the sacrifice. Look at verses six and seven. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. And just listen to this rich statement, verse seven. In order that in the coming ages, he might show the incomparable riches of of his grace. The riches of God's grace are beyond comparison. And how? Because of what he's expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. I believe wholeheartedly that all of God's word is rich. But there are some verses that we, we use the phrase sometimes, they're pregnant with meaning. There's so much more going on in them. Um, if you don't like the image of pregnancy, then it, 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 it's, it's even more than a, a really well-filled Titus Bismarck, okay? Like you get one of those Titus Bismarcks, I prefer the ones with the caramel icing, and you have all that white fluff inside. Like, like this verse is even more full than that. He, he, he says that the incomparable riches of God's grace are expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus Paul is looking back and he's seeing the cross of Christ. What else is beyond comparison? How else has God's loving kindness been expressed in any more bold way than allowing his son to die for our sin? This is a picture of Good Friday. That the Jesus would come and he would bear our sin, the sin that we deserved Paul would write elsewhere that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Like like Jesus paid our penalty for us. Romans chapter five, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Like like Paul is looking at this and saying, this is the kindness given in Christ Jesus. God was committed to whatever it would take to restore our relationship. Not only did he have a vision for something more, he was willing to pay the cost and, and pay the price for us. Every one of the restoration projects we featured and the restoration projects you've been a part of, they involve blood, sweat, and tears. Now, sometimes those tears are tears of frustration. Sometimes the blood is from you cutting your finger or, or splinter going deep or, or catching the angle grinder on your thumb. It's not a good thing, by the way. And God was committed to blood, sweat, and tears for us. I can see our Jesus in the garden praying with earnest and sweat like drops of blood flowing from him. I can hear him on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But it was all necessary to take those of us who were dead and to make us alive. It's his restoration story. And he was committed to the tender loving care. Here's what I know about these restoration projects. When, when Adeline goes into a garage sale and she's looking for a project, that vanity that's sitting on that garage floor or out in the driveway, like there's nothing it could do on its own to make itself be restored like this. Like that vanity is not just sitting there thinking, oh please, oh please, oh please, oh please make me something new and then poof, there it is. It has no power. That, 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 that cabinet at the curb cannot make itself into a, a kitchen, a, a kid's kitchen. It needs the care of another. It needs someone to take the sandpaper and to refine its wood. It needs someone to take the paintbrush and to to buy the paint. It needs someone to do what it can't do for itself. And here's the beauty is that we need restored because of our brokenness. God has a vision for more. He's committed to the sacrifice and he will provide all that's necessary. Do you know that grace and mercy are two sides of the same coin? Grace is undeserved favor. It's what God gives us that we don't deserve. Mercy is what God withholds from us that we do deserve. They're both evidences of God's love. And he provides exactly what we need to be brought back into relationship with the Father. He gave us his son. There's a reminder here in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 of God's care, his tender, loving care. For it's by grace It's by God's unmerited favor. You have been saved, rescued through faith, through your belief, through your trust. And this is not from yourselves. There's nothing you had to do with this. It is the gift of God, not by works. You can't earn it. Why? So that no one can boast, so that no one can be prideful. God does everything that's necessary to make us whole. Any of these restored pieces, the ones you saw in the pictures, like they, they can't boast. They didn't do the work. Someone else did the work. And that's what God does in us as we trust him. He makes us new. He makes us whole. He restores us. And, and, and what results? This final product, verse 10. New life, a renewed purpose, for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. We are God's handiwork. You are God's special handcrafted creation. In Genesis, in the image of God, he made them male and female. He invested in them. He formed them from the dust of the earth. And God is still forming us and making us. We are his handcrafted project. The the word in the original language that we translate handiwork is the same word we grab our English word poem from. Many of us know what it's like to be stirred by the words of a rich poem. Uh, a writer and author crafts using unique words and phrasing and paints a picture. And God in the same way invests in us through the power of his son to make us something new. Many of you in this room, many of you watching online are testaments to God's handiwork. You are not who you were. You're not perfect yet. It's the beauty of the gospel that's sometimes the frustration of the gospel. There's this now and not yet component. Uh, in God's eyes, when we trust in him, we are made whole. Second uh, Corinthians chapter five, verse 21, that God made him who knew no sin, Jesus, to be sin for us. That in Him we might become the righteousness of God, like God sees us for all the righteousness that's in Jesus. That's hard to get our minds on. Like He sees us as being fully restored when we trust in Jesus. But what do we know is that our life, we're, we're working out that fat salvation, we're discovering that restoration with fear and trembling, moment by moment. You can probably look back at your life and you can see who you once were. But you can also see if you're a follower of Jesus, who you still need to be. So God's still working. There's still rust. There's still hoses that need to be replaced. Uh, There's still blemishes in the grain that need to be sanded out. So don't be discouraged. He's making you new. He's making you whole. But the restoration is guaranteed. You'll be made new. And we know that one day, Jesus Christ will come again and he'll restore everything. And for those who believe, all that's wrong will be wiped away. There's new life. There's new purpose in Him. We just have to respond. Here's what I would hope is that if you're a follower of Jesus, as we think about Jesus' resurrection and the restoration that makes possible, that, that if you have wandered from Him today, you would come back and you would say, God, keep making me new. I'm so glad I'm a part of your restored work. If you are an active follower of Jesus and you've been trying to obey him in every way, you would just be encouraged to keep taking those steps, keep following him. And if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, I'd encourage you to respond to him. Here's the difference between us as restoration projects and these items and those we featured in pictures. Inanimate objects have no part in the journey, but we have a part to play. We must choose to believe and to trust, and to respond. And that invites God in to do that work in us. If you need help making that decision, I'd encourage you in three ways. One, if you're here at the invitation of a friend or a family member, you'd start the conversation with them. If they don't have answers, they'll seek help. Uh, if you don't have someone to talk to, you can scan that QR code. What's gonna happen when you open up your camera app on your phone, and you take a picture of that, it's gonna bring up a web page, and you can tell us how we can help you connect with God and, and help you find your restoration. If you're at home, you can email us, connect at lebanonchristian.org, and we'll get in touch with you and help you find your place in that restoration story. But God restores lives. That's what we celebrate today, that restoration is guaranteed for those who believe. There's something else that I wanna hit. We've been, we've been looking at how to love like Jesus And the beauty of the resurrection, it gives us an opportunity to not only see what's different in our relationship with God, that he restores that, but that because he restores that, because his spirit comes to live inside of us, it can change how we treat those around us. And just very briefly, as we bring things to a close on this Easter Sunday, I want you to imagine, what would it be like in your relationships if you emulated this same love? If we're honest, all of us know what brokenness feels like in relationships, don't we? We've all been betrayed. We've probably all been gossiped about. We've all probably been lied to. And for honest, we've probably all betrayed someone, lied to someone, gossiped about someone. We know what it's like to be in the same house with someone and not even be on speaking terms. We know what it's like to avoid somebody at the workplace or in the community. We know brokenness. But what if we, because we've been restored with the Father and his spirit lives inside of us, we chose to live with his same kind of love? What if we chose to have a vision for something more? We chose to believe that God can restore that relationship. That sibling that you're no longer talking to, what if there was a possibility for something more? What if that spouse you're separated from, there was a a possibility of something more? What if that parent that, that you're no longer talking to, there was a possibility for something more? What if you chose to believe that? What if you were committed to the sacrifice, to forgive where necessary, to, to do the humbling and sometimes humiliating thing to ask for forgiveness? What if, what if you were committed to, to letting go of that bitterness that eats you up? And can we be honest about bitterness for a moment? Like, like bitterness, giving that up is not a one-time deal. Like there are moments that, that we're, we're bitter towards someone because the past hurts and we, we come to the Father and we're like, God, I don't want this in my life anymore and you, you feel like you've let it go and, and about a week later something else just kind of turns you on to that again. You've got to lay it right back at his feet. Here's something I was thinking about as it relates to bitterness and forgiveness that just hadn't occurred to me before. This week as I was processing uh, in preparation for the message, I went back to that account of Peter and Jesus. And, Jesus, and Peter says to Jesus, how many times must I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Seven times, Jesus thinks he's being generous. Like that's, that's a perfect number in that culture. Like seven times, and Jesus says, oh, Peter, I try 70 times seven times, essentially like an unlimited amount. And I always process that as if that brother sins against Peter multiple different times. But the text doesn't say that. That could be what it means. But could it be that Jesus understands that the journey of forgiveness is a, is a lifelong journey so often with the greatest offenses? There are people in my life that have wronged me and I've had to do the hard work of, in my prayer journal out loud, saying, God, help me forgive so-and-so. And I feel like I've forgiven them. But what I find a day later, two days later, maybe a year later, I, I, I grab that back. And so... I've gotta forgive them. Again, what if forgiveness is both a process and an act? Would you be committed to that? And what if you were? What would that change in your relationships? What if, what if you were committed to the tender, loving care, writing the notes, sending the cards, sending the email, making the phone call, driving across town, across the state line, flying across the country to make that relationship what it can be? Here's what I think you would find is that many times you would find new life in that relationship. Notice that I said many times, I didn't say all the time. Because just like our relationship with God, we have to respond to his grace and mercy and love. We all know this, that we can't force someone else to respond to our grace and mercy and love. And so sometimes that person won't come back. And sometimes that person won't respond to your email. And sometimes that person won't restore the relationship. But here's what you know, is that you are charting the course to bring as much restoration in the world as possible. Why? Why? because he's restored you. There's so much hope in the resurrection and the restoration that it confirms and guarantees. In our Easter promo video, I shared about the Japanese art of kintsugi. It's a 400 year old art form. Uh, The Japanese who have been known for many years for their ceramic dishes, their porcelain. Instead of discarding what's been dropped to the floor and broken, they choose to make it new. In fact, the value of a Japanese piece of kintsugi is determined by the number of cracks. The more cracks, the more breaks, the more valuable it is. So as I was online looking for a piece of art, like I couldn't get the one with nine cracks and 10 cracks and 20 cracks because I couldn't afford them. What I love about the Japanese art form of kintsugi is that it shows something broken being made beautiful. And that's what God does for us and in us through the power of his risen son. And that's what God can do for you and in you and in your relationships through the power of his risen son. May we enjoy the beauty and the power of being restored. Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you for your story of restoration. Thank you for inviting us to be a part of that story. God, not only are we fearfully and wonderfully made as the psalmist says, but we are fearfully and wonderfully loved. You are fearfully and wonderfully patient and gracious and merciful. May we trust you to bring that restoration to our lives. And God, as you do, may we be committed to restoring our relationships with others. God, thank you so much for triumphing over the grave and bringing us life. Father, in the coming moments as we sing, uh, may you be honored and may these truths be just uh, impressed into us that they might never leave. It's in your name we pray and hope in the name of Jesus. Amen.